Welcome back, everyone, to the AM Take Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Marv, and we're two parts of this very awesome podcast. Join us as we explore a variety of topics every week. And this week, we've got our very first guest, Brian, on the show, who's going to share with us his experience of living abroad. All right, and we have our guest here, Brian. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you all today? Uh, pretty good. Pretty early in the morning mm-hmm. over here. How about you? Uh, what time is it where you are? It's about 10 p.m. right now. Just mm. like a 12-hour difference. Yes. All right. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Brian? Uh, so my name is Brian. i um, 37 years old. Uh, grew up in North Carolina mostly. Mm-hmm. And... I started living abroad in 2010, and I went back to the States right when COVID hit, uh, literally the last plane out from South Korea, and did my master's while I was home, and now I'm back living abroad in Taiwan. Oh, nice. So you've been living in South Korea for 10 years? I did, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what did you do there? I was a native English teacher. I taught in elementary school with the government program, EPIC, English program in Korea for four years. Uh, And then I took a break and traveled a little bit, went back to the States. And then I worked at a cram school or a hagwon for about a year and a couple months. And then I worked at a high school there for four years. And the city was Pohang, about two hours northeast of Busan. Okay. And how did you like it? Um, at first, it was more of just like an exciting immersion experience where okay. I had no knowledge of the language prior, and it was just kind of a fun go out on an adventure. And then once I started teaching uh, over there, like it kind of grew on me. And then it was only supposed to be a year, but it turned into four years. Mm-hmm. I think he cut out. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> Oh Uh-oh. my god. Bye. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back. My clock went off and it suddenly decided that my clock was more important than my phone call. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh but you were saying um how you you only planned for the first year but then it turned into 4 years. Right. And then I was dating a Korean girl for, at the time, and we were kind of serious. So I ended up moving back mainly in hopes of getting another English job and then okay. continuing the relationship. Um, it did not work out, but I ended up continuing the job because I really liked the high school I ended up at. Okay. And so your, um, I mean, it's only been two years since you've left South Korea, mm-hmm. are you fluent in the language? Uh, I would say I'm a high intermediate in speaking okay. and reading and writing, uh, just a low level, basically. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I can't really read a book very well, but I can speak pretty fluently. So. Oh, okay. Have you been keeping up with Korean? Uh, n- not in particular, but my mom did have a Korean family on her street that moved in. Oh. And so I did talk to the neighbors briefly here and there over the years. And we used to go to a restaurant that was owned by a Korean family. And so every now and once and again, I would speak Korean with them. But my Korean friends back in Pong, sometimes I do chat with them in Korean still a little bit. But 
now I'm trying to learn Mandarin. So <laughs> I bet every like Korean is so surprised the first time they hear you. Yes, and especially because <laughs> I speak with an accent. Okay. So it's such. Saturi, like kind of like countryside accent, actually. Oh. So some of the phrases and words I say, it's like a little bit different than the standard Seoul dialect. Oh. And so every time I used to travel up to Seoul, sometimes I would speak and they'd be like, what are you trying to say? And I'm like, <laughs> isn't it supposed to be this? I don't know. So it's like a country accent version of Korean. Not Pretty much, like, yes. Wow. Oh, okay. And I didn't know I was doing it for a long time. So. Okay, it's what like the it, if it would be in Japanese, the equivalent is like Osaka accent versus right, like exactly. Tokyo accent. Yep. Okay. Very similar to wow. that. Oh, that's interesting. All right. And how long have you known Marv, and uh, how did you meet each other? I met Marv through a Japanese class in college, actually. Okay. But then we had. Um, a video game area in our student center mm -hmm. and I would go there and hang out and then he and a couple of his other friends would go there and hang out okay. and so we kind of just met there and through Japanese class and started hanging out and then the following year we ended up being roommates with two other guys we knew or actually three I guess yep. so that was back in 2004 the fall and then okay. 2005 in the fall is when we moved in together oh wow okay so you guys were roommates before yes yes yeah wow. a mutual love wow. for not wanting to go to class brought us together yes and the best part was we would stay up until like five or six a.m some days just watching japanese and k-dramas or korean dramas uh -uh. like <laughs> our sure level did. was really low but it was it was a good time because marvin would find some good shows and then randomly we'd <laughs> binge watch all of it and this was before netflix was a thing too oh so yeah so what on, on crunchyroll or something like that no way no. before that this oh. was some other random sites that probably we don't want to mention yeah let's not mention this oh okay <laughs> okay all right i get it yeah yeah <laughs> they had they had you know streaming services in a different yeah, way they had they had very interesting streaming services so brian why did you decide to go abroad actually one of our other roommates um when i was an art major and when i graduated i didn't really know what i was going to do and one of our mm -hmm. other roommates was applying to the government program and he was like hey you should do this as well because i had traveled to asia a couple times prior um but i had never like lived there fully except in a summer of 2008 which i lived in taiwan for about two months or two and a half months mm -hmm. just and to learn the language oh just to learn the language mm -hmm. so i was a, just a language student because my ex-girlfriend's boyfriend at the time was gonna do it and her mom was like yeah you should go so we stayed with his grandmother and it was a really nice setup and that was the first time actually living abroad mm -hmm. rather than just like traveling around and it kind of completely changed my view about everything because you walked everywhere took public transportation and there was a lot of more convenience available that you didn't really have where i grew up mm -hmm. and even not having to drive everywhere to just go places was okay. really nice and convenient so when i came back i had like a reverse culture shock almost oh okay so you stayed in texas or your whole life uh north, north carolina, carolina. Uh, north carolina okay uh, I mean, I was born in Georgia, but I moved to North Carolina when I was about fourth grade. Okay. So most of my life was probably spent in North Carolina. But I have the impression 
that in the south of of United States, it's mostly flat and vast. Yeah, like it's not. And you need a car to get to places, right? right. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. Because even even the town that my mom still lives in now, like you can now walk to a lot of places because mm-hmm. of the sidewalks and the way the city's set up, and their mm-hmm. downtown is like more walkable now mm-hmm. but even getting there will take like 30 minutes to walk okay so you still need a car for convenience really okay so how how hard or easy was it to i guess make that decision to move abroad because that's that's not a light decision to make right i would mm-hmm. assume right well for me at the time um my main family is basically my mother and my older sister. And my older sister was getting ready to study abroad for a semester in Spain. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't going to be around. And my mom and I were already kind of talking about, you know, what I could do as a future career. Mm-hmm. And so when our other roommate brought this idea up that I could actually go teach for a year or something, um, I thought that'd be a great opportunity to just, you know, try something new see how it was. And if I didn't like it, it was only a year. And if I liked it, maybe I could do two years or something. So when the opportunity came, I just decided, you know, I'll do it. And then we went to Spain to move my sister in, in like late January the following year, because I applied in the fall. Mm -hmm. And I was on the waiting list. And then when I got back about first week of February, I got a phone call saying, Hey, come to Korea. And I was like, cool when is the orientation? And they're like, in two weeks. And I was like, what? Um, Don't I need to process my visa and all of this? Oh, we'll expedite it. So they had a late entry program and it was for anybody who applied um, and they were filling the spots. And I asked to be a part of that intake. And they said, no, you said you were flexible in the application. So you need to just go ahead and come. And I was like, okay, sure, why not? So I went through the whole process. We rushed everything. I was packing up, visiting family in like a week, a week and a half. And then I just left. And I, the orientation originally was 10 days mm-hmm. or seven days, something like that. But I arrived three days late oh. and didn't have anybody at the airport to pick me up. So I had to figure out a bus and to get down to the university where our training was. And then I got there in one afternoon and they're like, okay, here's your room and go to this classroom, uh, join the lecture. <laughs> and the guy lecturing was like, Hey, you're late. And I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was the lecture in Korean or was it? Uh, no. English? So the lectures were basically set up with teachers who have already been there for a while. And so they were just giving, um, their experience and talks basically. Oh, Cause okay. At the time, their program was strictly just if you graduated from a university at a four-year university, mm-hmm. you could come teach English because you're a native speaker. So I would say a good 70% at the time in 2010 had no prior teaching experience ever, myself included. Mm-hmm. So all these trainings were basically other experienced teachers trying to give their two cents and help you actually figure out how to teach. I see. Wasn't the, wasn't the goal to bring native speakers more so than actual people with uh, teaching credentials, I guess? Yes. At, and at, that time? at the time as well, especially 
They also had online training you had to complete before you could even go. Mm -hmm. And all of the training videos specifically said, you will have a Korean co-teacher. You will be co-teaching. You will teach class with a Korean teacher. When I arrived to my school, that was going to happen in one class out of like 20 classes. Oh my God. So I basically was just thrown in and like, here, teach. You're supposed to be a teacher. Here, sink or swim is up to you. Yeah. So the first month and a half was really rough. Mm. And it wasn't until my principal was observing a class and just stopped it within like five or 10 minutes. I was like, all in Korean. You need to do this, this, this. You need to call on individual students, make them practice more, blah, blah, blah. And I was only understanding what he said through body language. <laughs> and so I was just like, I, and I shook his hand after. I was like, thank you, because no one's done this for me yet. <laughs> but but you, you got, even though you couldn't understand him at that time, you got what he was trying to tell you? Yes, yes. And like, oh, wow. some of the other students were also kind of like chiming in, because he interrupted a fifth grade class, and there was one or two students that could speak a little bit of English. Okay. So they were kind of like helping him out with broken English, but like still wasn't that good. But I got the gist of it. And that was like the key strategies that I needed at the time. Because mm. I just wasn't doing it. I was going through motions, but I wasn't actually engaging the students enough. Mm. And so it was like a good teaching moment to me and an experience that I was like, oh, this this makes more sense. Yes, I should definitely spend more time getting them to talk and me shutting up. Mm. So did you find that that experience, that moment that the principal came in and interrupted you, did that inform you for the rest of your teaching career in general? Um, I would definitely say it kind of guided me to more of a hands-off approach at times where mm -hmm. I would just give students the material and let them kind of practice more with it instead of me just lecturing or being like a robot and kind of get let's practice this a couple times okay now let's practice this a lot more but here you two stand up you know say it in front of the class or you four students make a group and you know you practice and then you're going to present so the idea of students presenting a lot more and especially practicing with the language was a big thing that i took moving forward do you notice a huge improvement in your students uh, english so the problem is in most countries, I would say, students are not there to speak the language. They're there to learn how to read and write it half the time. Oh, okay. And so our jobs in elementary school was to get them to speak. But even the tests, you know, they have a listening part and a written part. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, most students would just do a lot better on the written part because high school in particular, they memorize the tests and how to take the tests. So I had a student who was really smart mm -hmm. in the written test, and he got a 100 on it, on a practice test. Mm. But he could not have a conversation with me whatsoever. Oh. And more often than not, he would sleep in my class. But he was going to go be a doctor. Really? So it was, yeah, very interesting. I see. So the approach to learning language is more methodical than trying to actually learn the language, basically just to... Memorization. Like, oh, wow a lot of memorization. Mm -hmm. And so what I noticed over the years, especially in Korea, is that the focus, some students were really fluent and they, they were only fluent because they actually liked learning a new language. But uh -huh. mm -hmm. you always had students who was just like, nope, this is another subject. I'm never going to use it in my life. So I don't really care. Is 
English mandatory in South Korea? Yes,、oh, okay. it is because on their national test, which is once a year, there is an English portion. Oh, so it's kind of like a second language, if you will. Almost yes, but the the requirement is is that you just have to pass the test. You don't have to be able to talk. Okay. Okay. Or communicate for that matter. And have you seen the test? Is it more grammatical, like technical stuff, or is it? Oh,、actual? it is all grammatical、uh, and technical. And there, you can actually go online, and there's tons of videos with、uh, YouTubers and other former teachers who have taken the test, and even they can't get a hundred because it's like almost a trick question test half the time.、Mm, oh、I、my、see. god! It kind of reminds me of foreigners who come here. In to Quebec, <laughs> they have to take this French test. Oh no! But it's so damn difficult. Like I failed the mock one. I am fluent. Sorry, I'm cursing. <laughs> but I am fluent in French, and I failed the damn French test from France. Yep, yep. And I don't even know why they have to take the a、uh, uh, test, an exam from France when they're staying in Quebec. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, but yeah, it reminds me of that. Yes, almost the exact same type of thing.、Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. No wonder they're so focused on the written <laughs> part and the reading part. Right. And I've had a unique opportunity now where I just arrived in Taiwan. I got settled after quarantine, and I've finally gone to my schools this past week. And I'm working at an elementary and a middle school,、mm-hmm. and their levels are so low.、Mm. It's It's kind of mind-boggling, but to be fair, I'm teaching first and second graders, and then sixth and seventh graders, and so or seventh and eighth graders, I guess.、Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking with some of the seventh graders, and in my first class with my co-teacher, and just asking them random questions, and they're just like spacing out, and but they could say, "I don't know, I don't know, I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> so, with with that said.、Mm-hmm. I guess these past two years you haven't been teaching. How does it feel to be back in the in the classroom? I mean, I mean, I know it's only been a short while since you've been well, back in Taiwan. I、yeah. will say that since I went through the grad school program, I went through. I did do an internship in third grade at an elementary school in America,、mm-hmm. and then I taught sixth grade math for this first half of the year because I took on a job replacing another teacher. So、mm-hmm. I got to experience like the American side of public schools and. It was just kind of very similar because students all over like it's the same needs, it's the same kind of conversations over and over. Where you'll have students who are it's too easy for them or it's so difficult for them. Whatever you're teaching and content, and then you just have the basic worries like kids can be like goldfish sometimes where they forget <laughs> what they're they forget where they are and they just start talking about random things. It's like okay, yeah, let's talk about that later. <laughs> so, so how was your journey through grad school? Why did you decide to,、uh, I guess, get a teaching master's or master's in teaching? Correct, pedagogy. Uh, yes, masters of arts in teaching is what they call it. So it was basically a fast track to get a teaching license in North Carolina, as well as have a graduate degree or a master's degree. And in Taiwan, in particular, if you're going to teach in the public school system, because、um, they're doing a bilingual program by 2025, I think is what they're pushing for, or a little bit、mm-hmm. later.、Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just implemented the past couple years, and the requirement to do public schools is you have to have a teaching license. 
So the only reason I actually went to get a teaching license was to come here and teach. Ah, I see. But that'll help you in other locations too, I'm assuming, right? Ultimately. Yes. Um, I actually did a student exchange program with the high school I was at with Germany. Um, and we went to Germany and I talked to some of the teachers over there as well. And I interviewed at an international school in Germany, actually. And they said that they prefer to have teachers who have a master's degree. Doesn't matter if you have the experience in their school system, but they just prefer a master's degree. So hopefully that will help me in the future. Okay. So it's been so many years that you first went to South Korea, but do you remember your initial like culture shock? Because there must have been some culture shock. Oh yeah, no, the, there were so many. Um, but the first biggest culture shock was when um, I got settled into a hotel at the time. Mm-hmm. So my co-teacher had picked me up on, in his car, drove me like a couple hours away from where the site was for the training at the university, and we had to drive to our city. And he, I didn't have a place to stay yet, so he put me up in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we get there, it's like in a back alley. The internet <laughs> at the time, it's like before smartphones happened because that smartphone boom took off the following year. Okay. So internet was difficult. Um, and we just get in this back alley hotel and it's a pretty tall building. It says mo- motel. So I was like, huh. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. And there, as we're going up the steps, there's just like porn cards on the ground like business cards for like (laughs) night workers and i'm just like what is this and i was like have you ever stayed at one of these places and he's like no never so i don't even know what i'm doing (laughs) and i was very confused so i got to my room and it was more set up like a love room kind of thing and it did have a computer so i did access my the website (laughs) to like say oh What can I find out about my city? Because even Google at the time wasn't well documented in Korea Mm -hmm. because they used Naver. But I didn't know any of this. So their maps for Google were terrible at the time. Mm -hmm. And so everyone I could find talking about the city was just like, yep, this is full of gangsters and terrible things. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It's a steel factory town. I was like, all right, I'm just going to ignore this, go to sleep. (laughs) Um, So I found out later later that these are also actually love motels like they literally call them love motels so that was a good first experience right when i got to the city was it comfortable no not really oh i mean like it was air conditioned and it had a shower so oh that's good that's nice and you didn't stay there for a long time did you i stayed there three nights because three nights the following day i got introduced to my school i talked to the administrator and like then my administrator and my co-teacher and I, we talked to a realtor or two and found an apartment. So they gave me like three choices and then I chose one, but it still took a couple days. Okay. Did they know you were living in a love hotel? Man, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, I mean, following that up. It, so after, I guess, I don't know, three three weeks of being there, uh-huh. I finally got the urge to like walk around more of my area because I was living near City Hall. Mm-hmm. And I had crossed this bridge and I was just walking because I didn't know how to use the public bus system. I didn't know how to use like a lot of things. And I see a big sign that says nightclub. And I'm like, cool. 
that must be a place for dancing like it is in America. And I like to dance. So <laughs> I got up the courage. I got, I got dressed. I walked to this place at night on Saturday night. I was like, this is going to be fun. And I gave them my ID and they looked at me like I was crazy and they let me in and they dragged me to, or they led me to a table. It was like, gave me this giant fruit plate with a couple beers. And then I look over and this woman's singing and I was like, okay, this is weird. And then she got undressed on stage and they covered her up in a towel. And then she got escorted off the table or off the stage. And then all of a sudden it was a DJ and then there are people dancing and then not dancing. And I was very confused. <laughs> and the table next to me was like two older men and an older woman. And the, um, they were trying to talk to me. And one of the guys spoke broken English. And he was in his 40s, I think, at the time. And mm-hmm. he also spoke a little broken Japanese. And like I said before, Marvin and I were, took Japanese. So yeah. I knew a little bit at the time. And okay. So they invited me over. We drank a little bit. And then they invited me to second round. And then... The woman called her friend or a coworker, I guess, and she came and like hung out with us. And then even she spoke a little bit of English, but was like, what are you doing here? Why are you with these people? <laughs> I was like, what? I don't know. So I went to school the following Monday and I was like, told everybody, I'm talking you, about the principal, told- <laughs> the vice principal. I was proud of this. I was like, were, what did you do on the weekend? I was like, oh, I went dancing at a nightclub. <laughs> the look on their faces was very, very strange. So I called the guy I met later the following uh-huh. day when I got a phone or a couple of days later. And Oh, the guy you met at the nightclub. Right. He introduced okay. me to a coffee shop owner. Okay. And the coffee shop owner, yeah, I'm still good friends with today, Mr. Lee. And he actually just questioned me. He's like, you did what now? You went what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I met this guy at the nightclub. And it was fun. He's like, you do realize that's a place for like people to speed date and hook up, right? And I was like, excuse me? So then it dawned on me that I've told my whole entire school <laughs> that I went to a dancing club to basically oh. dance, but they probably thought something else. So yeah, that was exciting. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> And so you haven't been in um, Taiwan for long, but do you have like new culture shocks? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I'm very much so probably because I've, like I said, I lived in Taiwan in 2008, but now I'm um, the girl I'm currently dating. She's also Taiwanese, so mm-hmm. I came to Taiwan a little bit more often the last year or two. While I was in Korea, and I think the biggest culture shock when I came here was through quarantine because quarantine just got lifted last week. But when I arrived two weeks ago, it was still three nights and then four days. So I had to get a new uh, SIM card in my smartphone Mm -hmm. um, so they could track me. I had to do a PCR test like every Mm -hmm. two days. um, And I, I had to just stay in a hotel room for three days. But even the previous year my girlfriend did come and visit and then when she went back she had to stay in a hotel for two whole weeks oh like oh. she couldn't even go outside mm-hmm. and so i was experiencing this whole covid is totally active and real whereas america like everything started opening back up again and whatnot but mm-hmm. after those three days like i was able to go out again a little mm-hmm. bit and so it was nice to see that COVID was kind of being taken seriously here, I guess, what okay. I would say. But I mean, 
at the same time, the biggest culture shock I always get is the amount of scooters everywhere. Okay. And like crossing the street. So if you cross at a crosswalk, it's pretty safe as long as you follow the lights. Okay. But like anytime you cross otherwise, like you just have to be very careful because scooters can just come whizzing by all the time. And so even oh. my girlfriend was like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. It's, it'll be fine. Just walk and they'll just avoid you. Just don't stop. Just keep walking. It's like it's, okay. it's kind of oh, like in India. Wow. <laughs> probably I haven't been okay. yet, but yeah, probably. So Asia is very much still very strict with COVID policies or protocols. Um, yes. So when you walk out in the streets, people are still masked. Everybody's masked up. I would say, okay. on average, maybe five percent of people aren't masked up. And when you go to restaurants, I mean, in, in stores, there's hand sanitizers and like mm -hmm. temperature checks all in one. Oh. So you put your hand under it and it takes your temperature and squirts out oh, a lot wow. of hand sanitizer. Oh. But like it's in almost all the stores and restaurants. Wow. Like there's only a few of them that I don't know that probably can't afford it or something. But yeah. Okay. So now in Taiwan and then previously in South Korea, did you drive in South Korea at all? So I did drive in South Korea, but not in the first year. Uh -huh. I think it was after that because you needed an international license or permit to rent a car. So I was introduced a car rental place in the city and I ended up, it was like $50 a day. And so mm -hmm. I had an international license from AAA and, or the permit. And once I had that, then they were fine with me renting a car. Mm. How was it different driving in South Korea? It's a little different because okay. the roads are a little bit more narrow. Um, and it's really different when you get on the interstates or the freeways, okay. whatever you want to call them. So because in America, you have like exits every mile or so. Yeah. Um, but over there, it's like you're driving 10 kilometers or more and there's no exit. So if you accidentally get on the wrong direction, you're going to go for at least 10 to 15 minutes before you can oh. turn around most Whoa. of the time. And that happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you got to make sure your fuel tank is kind of full before you get on the highway. Yes, definitely. And I rode with a guy one time who actually decided to go 130 kilometers an hour. What? And wow, that's fast. Yes. And the speed limits are usually capped at 100 and they have a lot of police like speed camera traps set up but the gps in your cars will kind of warn you when they're about to happen so he would just be flying and then slam on the brakes pass the camera and then fly again <laughs> it's just wait, i rode with him once and never again wait why why what happened did you get kidnapped or something no he was actually the boss of the girl i was dating at the time and <laughs> He offered to drive us to the other city that day, and we stupidly said yes. Oh, man, that's funny. Yeah. I think the fastest I've went is like 120 kilometers, and that was fast. That's still really fast. Yeah. yeah. Do you plan on driving Taiwan? Uh, probably. I don't know if I'm going to learn a scooter sooner or later, because um, I've driven a scooter once or twice uh, in previous years, but... Like, I'm still getting my legs accustomed in the traffic directions and everything because they have a scooter lane half the time and the other half the time they don't. So you just kind of weave in and out of the cars. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a little hesitation on my part. And I have the opportunity of 
using um, my girlfriend's mother's car later if I want to, mm-hmm. but I'm still on that hesitant. I'll try it in a week or two, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Brian, when you, when you first got to South Korea, how did you mainly get around without actually knowing the language? Was it? I know during that time we didn't have like Google Translate or anything like that, right? So how did you manage? Yeah, no smartphones yeah. yet. Still, um, I was calling home through Skype every like few days or so at home connected to the internet um i did have wi-fi here and there but again like you don't have smartphones at the time really so it wasn't as big of a deal but basically i had my administrator and other teachers write down a whole bunch of things in korean on like post-it notes Mm -hmm. and then i would show that to taxi drivers or show that to other people if i needed to go somewhere so taking a taxi is really convenient but like still even showing that stuff to them like sometimes they couldn't read it because it was too small or something so what about say what about if you walk into a restaurant and you want to order something off the menu how would you go about doing that so at first i would just find places that had picture menus (laughs) and then once i learned because i learned the language probably in about a week or two like at least the characters because the alphabet's pretty simple Yeah, yeah Um, and then once I learned like the keywords that I needed for food and dishes that I like to eat, um, then I just memorized those and was like, okay, it has this, that's what I want. It has this, that's what I want. Um, and then like also learning how to say it over and over and like those keywords, you just kind of keep practicing and eventually you memorize it. But I will say, especially in, there's a lot of restaurants there where they don't like people eating alone. Oh. Or they won't even serve you if you're eating what? alone. What? So really? in my area that I was in, in particular, there was a couple of restaurants where I would walk in mm-hmm. and I, I, they would ask how many people. I'd be like, one. And they're like, nope, we don't serve that. Oh, that's so like, weird. Huh? Oh, I thought you were going to say they match you with someone. They don't even serve singles? No, they don't even serve Is singles. There... And I, I don't know if it was because it was just I was a foreigner at the time. But yeah, mm. I mean, obviously he's still a foreigner but and what's the what's the explanation behind that um sometimes the the portions they make i guess aren't catered to individuals um oh. and then other times they just don't want to deal with people who don't speak korean mm. okay but there's another restaurant later where i had you know learned a decent amount of korean and i even walked in and they're like nope nope but then on the reverse of that i would go to a meat restaurant and order my whole self like $25 worth of meat and a soup and things and they were fine with me ordering alone. Okay. And I ate it all, so I mean, it might have been like a food wasting thing. I'm not sure. Sometimes it's just kind of those things where you let go and don't really think about it too much. Okay. True. Yeah. That's true. How 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 was it uh getting to make friends, I guess, without knowing language? People who were local. Yeah, like I said when I was introduced to the coffee shop friend Mr. Lee like He introduced me to some of his friends, and then I ended up hanging out with them all the time. So Mm. I would go drinking with them, or we would play poker, or just hang out. Um, Because a lot of them like music, and I mean, I like music a lot too, so they had their own like group space, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so that's where they would hang out all the time, and they just invited me, and there was a couple other foreigners who they knew as well and they introduced me to them and then those foreigners introduced me to like the foreigner community a little bit more mm-hmm. but it probably wasn't until three months or four months later when we had another training orientation where i met more teachers in the city and then 
ended up hanging out with them more and then I started meeting more foreigners. Mm. Okay. But I would say even now it's much easier because Facebook's a big thing. All these social media avenues, like people can access information and other people a lot easier. Whereas at the time it was just like word of mouth, basically. Do you think it's going to be your experience this time in Taiwan is going to be better or easier than it was in Korea? I think being older now, especially like a big part of my life in Korea was going out and meeting people all the time. But now that I'm older, mm-hmm. that's going to be like less of a priority, I guess I would say. I see. But I've already been to like um, an animation expo kind of thing. And I met um, a card game player who was like, I'm the champion in Taiwan. Welcome to my Taiwan. I was like, what? <laughs> really? So they invited me to like a line group already to play a card game. And I was like, sweet. So I might make some friends playing card games because I do play card games still. So. so what do you mean by card games? Um, that in particular one was Flesh and Blood. Um, but I play Magic the Gathering and oh, okay. um, the Pokemon trading card game and okay. Digimon trading card game and a few others. So. Okay, okay. Neat. Cool. Yeah. So I think just basically talking to people randomly also kind of helps um, and gives you that random connection. So mm. don't be shy about talking to people. <laughs> You're an extrovert, aren't you? No, actually, apparently. Wait. According to my sister, I'm you, an introvert. Wait, that's not what Marv said. You are not an introvert, my friend. So Brian is not an introvert. So I grew up basically being able to hang out by myself and play, do hobbies by myself and things like that. So that put me into the introvert category. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I like talking to people and meeting new people and like just hanging out. So that puts me into the extrovert category. So I guess it's like... I'm in that middle line of half and half. Can that oh, okay. Be yeah, the ambivert. I think you're probably the only true ambivert I know. Because, you know, people who say that, they're not really an ambivert. You know, it really depends on the day. But I'm pretty sure for you, Brian, you can switch back and forth immediately. Yeah, I mean, it's been nice getting back into, like, a school system and stuff. But even in quarantine for three days, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was fine. So are there any current challenges or obstacles that you're facing right now in Taiwan? The language. Um, basically, what I mean by that is just ordering menus. Okay. Um, so I knew how to do that before, but a lot of the times restaurants won't really have pictures and it's literally just, here's a bunch of texts of our menu, okay. order off of it, and or you'll get a paper and you order off of it. I only discovered yesterday, I think it was, that my Google Translate does, in fact, translate okay using the picture version. So that won't be as much as a problem, okay. I think. Um, but at first, it was that shock of like, oh, crap, I've got to only eat at restaurants again that have pictures and match up the characters. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Are there any popas in Taiwan that, that you're used to doing in, say, United States, and then you come here? And then you learn, no, 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 you're not supposed to do this. Well, trash is also a big problem here. So they have trash trucks that come around mm-hmm. um, and pick up your trash. But it's very specific times. And um, on certain days, they do recycling and other days they don't. So like I have three recycling trash bags and one big trash bag just waiting here because I missed all of the trucks last week. Oh. <laughs> 
And the it, new experience that I'm relearning and now learning, the schools I work at as well, they don't have a cafeteria. So they bring the food to the classrooms, but in the teacher's case, they bring it to just a room and you go get your food. But not only that, once you're done eating, if you have any leftovers, you need to immediately wrap it up and tie it, tie it in a plastic bag and then throw it in the dumpster. Or you need to make sure that the food doesn't get out because bugs and cockroaches are a big problem here. Oh. So they don't have like a standard cafeteria. And then you'd go and actually do your own dishes and, you know, clean all your mm -hmm. stuff. And then you'll mm -hmm. keep reusing that stuff. Okay. But then as well, toilet paper. So a long time ago, it was much worse. But a lot of the bathrooms, you have to bring your own tissue paper or toilet paper. Oh, my God. And if you don't, and certain ones, you're out of luck. But if it's like more of a public restroom, then usually they will provide toilet paper. But some of them, like I experienced this weekend again, like you have to get the toilet paper before you go into the toilet. Oh, Otherwise, goodness. like it's out of it. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you have to yell for help yeah, in the much, stall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, wow. luckily, I remembered and I saw a guy grabbing toilet paper. So I was like, okay, yes, I need to grab a lot of this before I go in here. So, <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. That is a major concern, I'd say. Holy crap. yeah. And also the schools I work at too. Like, I that was the first question I asked. I was like, do you need to bring toilet paper here? And they're like, yes. <laughs> so, wow, that wow. that makes the like the you know the run on toilet paper in the states in the beginning of the pandemic makes it seem so real now yes yeah, well also they don't really use toilet paper rolls here it's more of like here's a giant stack of tissue paper oh. in like square rectangle sheets and so those are also like flushable toilet paper but oh. they don't really do rolls as much you can get rolls still at like costco or bigger marts but otherwise it's just like rectangle sheets so so what is it like those you know those like pocket-sized kleenex things is yes, kind of like you that. can get those. Yes, <laughs> except like the actual ones, especially in the one I'm, I'm using, it's more like a a small napkin, basically, just like an unfolded napkin. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what is your biggest concern right now? Like, you are you already settled in? You have your apartment. You have. I'm finally settled in. Um, that was a, a real stress at the beginning because uh, we didn't have an apartment yet and I was going to find it during quarantine. Uh, and then even after quarantine, I still don't have an apartment. And so the following weekend, I looked at about four or five places and finally found one that was nice enough that I thought, you know, I could live here and it should be okay. Because the location okay. was an issue and also the price range was an issue. Because if you wanted like a really nice Western style place, it was probably going to cost you a lot more than you could afford. So, okay. And if you don't mind me asking, how much is the the cost of living um, the rent wise? Um, the the place I chose is about five hundred dollars a month, and then I will only get like a third of that through um, my school as like allowance for apartment rental. Okay. So in okay. South Korea, you could rent, or they would give you four hundred dollars basically a month, and then you could adjust how where you're going to live based off that. So you could live <laughs> in a very reasonably comfortable place for four hundred or five hundred. Um, mm -hmm. And here, it's just a little bit more to live more comfortably. And then, 
as well as like a lower amount from the government paying you for your housing. So, okay. And are you located in a metropolitan city or on the countryside? Or? So I'm kind of I'm I'm in Kaohsiung t- technically, but like I'm more kind of on the edge of the city, I would say. So I can have access to the metro, but it just takes like a 10 to 15 minute bus ride to get there. Okay. But my schools, mm-hmm. they are definitely like more on the countryside. So do you do you plan on just using the, the uh, I guess the public transportation system or do you are you you said you're going to get a scooter, right? Or a bike? I don't know if I'm going to get a scooter. But right now, I'm just taking the b- buses everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of wonderful because I'm pretty much the only one who's riding the bus every time. Uh, and I was told by my teachers that no one really rides the bus in Kaohsiung. So what? everybody usually drives a scooter or uh, drives a car. So the max I've ever had on the bus so far is like five people. Whoa. Wow. But I've seen some of the other buses with like a bunch of students and stuff. But usually when I'm riding the bus, it's like just me. Wow. Kind of like a... Is it pretty cheap to buy the bus, I guess? Uh, I would say it's kind of based on your distance. But the starting is like 20 cents or 25 cents. Um, and by the time I get to where I need to go, it's usually maybe 30 cents or so. Wait, wait, how does that work based on distance? So, so you have an initial fee okay. and you have to scan like your card or go ahead and pay the initial amount. And then you have to, if you have, if you're using a transportation card, you scan it again before you get off. Okay. So if the like base fee is further than the amount of stops you're allowed to go within the initial fee, okay. then they would charge you a little bit extra. That's so okay, interesting. So, so oh. everybody has this bus pass that's actually uh, also serves as a prepaid card you put money in it and then you scan it and so then like what it could be oh you're paying 35 cents oh i'm going a little bit further i'm gonna be paying 40 cents pretty much and also like you can use that transportation card for the metro or there's a bike system as well like a rent-a-bike system um and so some of the, I think some of those cards you can even use at the convenience stores, but I just haven't yet. Oh, so it's like it's like the uh in Japan in Japan then basically. Yeah, very similar to Japan, and just like in Japan's uh, transportation system too. Even the metro, depending on what city and where you are, like the first five mm-hmm. to six or seven stops are the same flat fee, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. like the further you go, the more expensive it is, but usually not by like a crazy amount. Mm-hmm. Okay. So besides that nightclub incident that happened in South Korea, wh- mm-hmm. what's another interesting or crazy moment that's happened to you while living abroad? Oh, there's too many. There's too many. I'll say yeah. one of the like scary things in related yeah. to what the world vibe is going on was, mm-hmm. I think, was the second year I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the missiles from North Korea were fired oh, on the yeah. island. And we were on a field trip and one of the teachers in South Korea, like she was panicking because her dad is like in the military and was on that island during the time. So she finally got in touch with them. But like it was just kind of a wake up call of like, oh, man, this is still a real thing. But they were always living with that. And even now it's like the same stuff over Mm -hmm. and over. Mm -hmm. And with Taiwan, I mean, it's very similar situation. So 
I guess those that that was like one of the crazy like real world things that happened where it's just kind of like world perspectives of yeah. like oh man I'm I'm definitely living in a active war zone I guess but I guess because yeah when we're in the states we hear about it, but when you're actually there it's another thing right exactly and the, are the locals also stressed about this daily. I wouldn't say stress daily, but it's all, it's one of those things like, it's in they the back just, of your head. Um, yeah, it's, they've come to accept. And it's like, well, if it happens, like there's nothing we can do about it. So, okay. and in Taiwan, it's kind of a different situation with China because you have this mix of people who are very pro China and then people who are very not pro China. And then this in between of just like, we don't care as long as we live comfortably and just don't have to worry about war, basically. Okay. Um, so out of curiosity, are you on a one-year contract in Taiwan? Yes. Um, just like I was in South Korea, it's a repeating yearly contract. So okay. they'll have the opportunity for renewal later next year. Okay. Um, but it's just up to me and my schools if we want to continue. Okay, and you do plan to, in one year, renew it? Um, it depends on how this year goes. So the current plan for me is I would like to test this year and see how it is living here and okay. working here. And then if it's really good, I'll think about continuing for a year. And the future goal, regardless of after next year, is to go to another country, somewhere either in Europe or in South America, Okay. and try to teach in another international school. Okay, I see. Um, so do you, in the long term, plan to um, basically spend the rest of your life living abroad? Or are you, do you sometimes miss home and you want to uh, retire uh, in the States? I think the plan right now is to live in a new country every two to four years <laughs> or so. Okay. And for the next like 12 to 16 years or so and then like pick one of those countries to settle down and retire in oh wow. um, and that could be it could be america it might not be it's just kind of one of those up in the air things that really don't know but i want to try to live in at least four or five other countries before i decide to settle mm -hmm. down so you have like this this world map thing where you like check off I think they have these things where it's a scratchy. You can scratch yeah, off I've, the back. I've seen those actually, but I have not yet gotten one because I think my country list is still only about 13 countries or so. So, mm. okay. I was supposed to explore a lot more pre COVID. And then once COVID happened, like that ruined all my travel plans. So, ah, uh, yes. Do you have any kind of uh, bucket list items that you wanted to complete in Taiwan while you're there? Um,. Yeah, there's a city down south, which is only like a couple hours from me now, mm -hmm. uh, called Kenting, and it's like the main beach city, basically. So I've never been, and I really want to go, and I think this year I'm definitely going to make a trip down there. So that's like the main bucket list item. Okay, so with, with any kind of international travel, um, obviously you have culture shock, you have differences in language, but what about food? How did you get acclimated to the food or did you already have an inkling of what the food culture was both in South Korea and Taiwan? So I would say in South Korea it was more like I only knew the basic things like bibimbap and bulgogi and 
other than that mm-hmm. i only knew like random like kimchi and stuff um but it's more of just like trying things out and i can't do spicy food very well uh, oh. my stomach is not good so it was kind of a challenge <laughs> at first just like making sure i didn't get spicy things and learning how to say don't make the soup spicy was a big thing as well because you can yeah. you can do that like you can have yeah. them hold the extra spice so because they eat very spicy don't they like they yes and then i have i had an old roommate in korea as well who he loves spicy stuff okay so it was this like counter to me where like if we were out and it was too spicy he would just eat it okay and then like if it wasn't then like sometimes he would even test for me so but yeah that was like the biggest thing and then the thing i loved the most over there was the soybean soup Okay. and just cooking raw meat yourself on like the grill and the stove oh that's like, fun the korean barbecues yeah yeah those those two are like my main jam for a long time and then i think in taiwan especially i like the beef noodle soup mm-hmm. i would butcher the saying right now because my tones are still terrible so i won't bother but yeah <laughs> i love the beef noodle soup and just um a lot of the dumplings and stuff so like Shaolong Bao is like the soup dumplings and yeah. there's a local place that does them really well. So, mm. Yeah, I was telling Marv about that. Yeah, we were just talking about that the other day. <laughs> and I just found, I just found a, 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 a dumpling restaurant in uh, Austin. So oh, really? We're going to try it out soon. Yeah. Is it called Din Tai Fong? <laughs> Din tai no. Because <laughs> okay. that's a big chain, so I don't know. It is a big one. chain, yeah. There's a, there's a oh. chain here in... Um, not actually not in my city but in toronto ding tai fung is really uh popular oh nice yeah i actually ate there um two weeks ago Ooh. So, okay yeah because yeah. the local place that i used to go to a lot they the sun took over when we went mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. like their dumplings were a lot thicker and not as like thin oh skinless. so you don't get as much soup but um oh you get a lot more of the dumpling yeah. yeah but when we ate at din tai fong they're still really good so it's just they're more expensive because it's a chain and yeah so all right brian um thanks for joining us yeah today. thank uh, you, if you yeah, can, no if you could give any and uh, if you can give any advice to somebody who's interested in living abroad or trying to go abroad whether or not they're uh, you know a college student or an adult what what would be your i guess your number one advice my biggest advice would definitely be don't be afraid to try new things because i think i met too many teachers especially in korea all the time there are teachers that couldn't eat the food or just were scared to eat some of the food so they would eat out of the convenience store all the time or like a sandwich and i felt just really bad for them because not only does like they have this problem for this but the school and those people they work around, like they have to cater to them. So it kind of puts them in a really uncomfortable relationship with the people they're working with. And if you're in that kind of situation already, like right when you get there, it's just going to make more problems later on. So I, I would say definitely be open to new things. Um, and even if you don't like some things, just be polite about it because okay. um, it'll get you really far. Because I've had people, teachers give me drinks i don't like or you know food i don't like and i mean i'll still take it i might even try it um but i, I mean i don't i know i don't have to eat it but i'm not going to do that in front of them and just be oh this is disgusting and throw it away or something 
Um, that's my definitely biggest advice because like being polite and gratitude kind of being humble a bit about a lot of things will go a long way. Mm -hmm. And also just like be open to, Hey, you're the guest in this country, you know, like there are some things that are not going to be comfortable for a little bit, but hopefully you can adjust. And if you can't, well, maybe you can find a substitute somewhere. So. Sounds like great advice. Wow. Yeah. Basically assimilate. Not even assimilate, but just like be open to the fact that you can't have the same Mm -hmm. life that you have where you come from. It might evolve into it eventually because, I mean, in the foreigner community, especially like we were able to create kind of like a Western vibe a lot of the times Mm -hmm. um, just in different activities and things we did. But just on a daily living basis, you're probably not going to have the same accommodations and just luxuries that you might have in wherever you're from. So be open and don't be shy about it great advice yeah but yeah thanks again for having me thank you yeah Brian uh, thanks for coming on board and taking time out of your day I know it's uh, really it's getting late this so thanks again and uh, hopefully we can invite you back in the future to talk about your uh, experience in Taiwan and see where you go from there sounds good to me So yeah, that pretty much sums it up for this episode. Thanks again, Brian, for joining us today on the show. Did you enjoy the interview? Do you have more questions about living abroad? Let us know by writing to us at theamtake at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-A-M-T-A-K-E at gmail.com. So join us next week as we blast to the past and discuss all things Hollow's Eve and how we grew up with or without goals and goblins. Boo! Boo!